episode 159, Glenn Poulos, business owner and author of the book, Never Sit in the Lobby. I compliment you on a unique uh, formula for your podcast because uh, I've enjoyed listening to some of the other people's mistakes and, uh, you know, um, I'm going to pass on mine. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Glenn and his book and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 159. As always, thanks for listening. If you like the episode, if you love the episode, please share it on social media, share it with a colleague. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Joining us today from the greater Toronto area is Glenn Poulos. He is the co-founder, vice president, and general manager of Gap Wireless, Inc., a leading distributor for the mobile broadband wireless and test and measurement equipment markets. Gap Wireless Inc. was recently acquired by Network Wireless Solutions. So before I tell you more about Glenn, first off, welcome to the podcast and uh, congratulations on the deal. Uh, Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. So let me tell you a little bit more about Glenn. So he has more than three decades of experience in sales. He's spent thousands of hours in the field or on the phone with customers and working with salespeople to help create several very successful companies. He entered the sales field in 1985 as a technical sales rep. He founded his first company, MM Wave Technologies, in 1991, and then simultaneously served as president of Anritsu Electronics Limited for nine years. So he has extensive knowledge and experience in this industry. He lectures groups on sales strategy consumerism, and what motivates people. So that'll give us a lot to talk about today. And his new book, uh, released in February, is titled Never Sit in the Lobby, 57 Winning Sales Factors to Grow a Business and Build a Career Selling. And his website is glennpoulos.com. There'll be a link, links to all of that in the show notes. Um, so Glenn, um, a lot to look back on uh, across those experiences. And I'm really excited to, to talk to you about Um, sales and and mistakes and tips in that realm. But as we always do here, I want to hear about your favorite mistake. What's your story? Sounds good. Yeah. It's a little, I'm not sure ironic is the right word, but it's, it's, uh, uh, I compliment you on a unique uh, formula for your podcast because uh, I've enjoyed listening to some of the other people's mistakes and, uh, you know, um, I'm going to pass on mine and um, yeah. yeah, And then maybe we can move on to some of the things I got right. And uh, (laughs) as you know, yeah. So, uh, so th- going back uh, in the early 2000s, um, you know, it's 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 relevant. I was going through a divorce at the time and sort of settling into a new routine, uh, you know, as a as, you know, part time parent Wednesdays every other weekend, that sort of a thing. You know, that can be a tumultuous time going through an event like that. And, um, you know, I can I can say with experience, it it does take some time for that to settle down. And so. Um, you know, some distractions that had, you know, sort of built into my life. And um, I didn't really notice how much until, what, you know, the events that uh, I'm going to explain to you now. So these aren't really like excuses. I'm just sort of, you know, painting the picture of, of, of why this might have happened in it, sort of in advance. So, 
So one day I was, you know, chatting around the water cooler with, with one of the sales guys, Bob, and uh, he, you know, he, they often came to me for, you know, to discuss either a technical matter, you know, how to position a product technically, you know, how to work on margins, pricing, what have you. And, you know, Bob was, was querying me on a topic. And, you know, at the end I said, look, you know, if, uh, you know, if it doesn't go the way you need, or if you need more information, you know, just, just give me a call. And if I'm not there, leave me a voicemail. And at that point, you know, he kind of burst out laughing at me. And um, the way I try to explain it, it's kind of the kind of laugh where sort of you had a sip of, of uh, water in your mouth or something like that, you know, he would have spit it all over me kind of a thing, right? Like yeah. kind of a, in, kind of a, it, a guffaw. It, an involuntary response. Yeah. An involuntary response. And I'm like, what's so funny. Right. And uh, he, I, you know, I asked him, right. And he goes, you're like, you're kidding. Right. And uh, I'm like, no, why would I be kidding? Like call me, you know, leave me, leave me a voicemail. And um, so, you know, I kept cajoling him and he, he seemed reticent and he, you know, and I said, look, just either call me and leave me a voicemail or explain what's going on. And he said, I guess, I guess you haven't heard the standing joke then. And uh, at this point I was freaking out and, you know, getting flustered with him. I'm like, you know, I really don't know what you're talking about. And uh, you know, can you just, you know, elaborate please, Bob. And, uh, I'm, and he's like, Hey, don't shoot the messenger. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Spit it out. And, and he said, look, there's a standard joke about you in the company. And, you know, and it says, you know, uh, and basically they're saying, you know, call and leave them a voicemail and everyone laughs. And the whole idea behind it was that basically I wasn't answering the phone and I wasn't returning voicemails. And so, you know, imagine someone phones you on the phone, you don't pick up, they leave you a voicemail, you don't listen to the voicemails, you don't phone them back. They're virtually impossible to get a hold of unless they literally walked into my office and got a hold of me. And at that time, at looking back, that was literally the only way people were able to uh, nail me down. And, and many of my guys were spread out across North America. I mean, we had offices all across Canada, the United States, we had three offices in Mexico. So the fact that, um, the head of the sales department was hard to get a hold of at this time was, was, was pretty bad. And, uh, you know, the, you know, sometimes you hear these things about yourself and this, you know, you, it flushes across you as a, like this wave of, of like, Oh my God, is that me? And, um, uh, you know, and it was, you know, you, you almost get choked up, like either thinking about it or talking about it. Right. And, but I, but at the time I, I realized that it, it was true. And, um, you know, I, obviously I had to do something about it and, um, but, you know, I, I learned the lesson that when the phone rings, you know, you have to pick it up and, um, you know, if someone leaves a voicemail, call them back. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the biggest takeaway that I always tell people is now I'm actually the, you know, what we call the final rollover on our phone. So if you phone my company Gap Wireless and you're like zero zero or you go zero zero zero, it comes yeah. directly to me. Yeah. And um, and if you hit sales or accounting or something, they don't answer and they hit zero or they back out or they try to go around, it always ends up at my phone, which is forwarded to my cell phone. And I pick it up, you know, whenever I possibly can, as a result of having learned uh from my past mistake. And the the, the harsh part about it was that. Uh, there was an inside joke, you know, and which you, which they abridged to, Oh, call, leave him a voicemail, yeah. you know, you know, giggle, giggle, laugh, laugh. Right. And, uh, 
yeah. So that's, that's sort of the long and the short of it. And, um, but it's a lesson that, you know, this is in my old business. I have a new business that I've been running for 15 years now that it was a hard lesson to learn, but one that I carried forward forward with me until this day. And, yeah. uh, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it stings. There's a couple of different levels of the story I want to dig into and, you know, and thank you for sharing it, Glenn. One, I guess is the sting of unsolicited feedback. Um, yeah. it sounds like you took it to heart. I mean, did, have, have you taken steps beyond returning the calls to, to, to ask people for feedback? How are you doing as, as a boss, as a, as a VP, as a leader? Um, well, yeah. I, so to address that directly, I mean, uh, I'm not sure that I specifically ask them for feedback in that way, but I'm, I'm overtly open in terms of my door policy, right? Like, I mean, many people have all oh, my doors always open, you know, and then you walk by and their doors closed. Right. And, <laughs> and like in this situation here, I'm actually calling from my, uh, from my office and um, you know, I, and I come here every day, even through COVID from March, 2020 till today, I've only not been here one or two days in that entire time. Um, and my door is normally open. And um, the, 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 there's a story in the book that I talk about never get a black couch. And at, when COVID started, I got a black couch, right? And the, the whole idea was, you know, if you get a black couch, people are going to drop in it and they're going to start telling you their problems. And um, usually <laughs> is, it's, is, it, is, it, is it like a therapy couch? Is that what it? Well, well, yeah, <laughs> like it is that. And I don't mind it for that. It was the, the story and the lesson in the book is about people like business people coming in and flopping in the black couch and they would have a great business idea. The only thing they would never have was money. Right. And they're like, I got this great idea, but all I need is some money, right? Your money and, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. And so that, that's why the lesson of the never get a black coach. But, um, you know, the um, I, I am very uh, rather than asking them to tell me how they feel about me, I'm, I'm very inquisitive of how people are doing and very um, observant of distractions in their world. And, you know, uh, perhaps other people, you know, have parenting issues. Maybe they have some medical issues that they need some special support. And we've always worked to provide customized, you know, special, special treatment for everyone. And, um, you know, and uh, if somebody needs some special dispensation for an issue, we'll, we'll look at it and try to help them. And, and, and then when they need it, we need extra help from them. They're more than willing to help back. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel that uh, I, I'm approachable and, um, and, and I, that I will show empathy, which again, is something that I go on ad nauseum in the book about being empathetic. Yeah. Um, so if the, if, by the way, while we're recording here, if the phone rolls over to you, you can grab it and I can I, I silenced the ring yeah, actually in the ring the, I had to disconnect the ringer. So it, it wouldn't okay. ring. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thinking back to, you know, that, that pattern that people would, were, were joking about, um, you're, you're, it sounds like it was unintentional. I'm going to tell a quick story. You're, you're, you're prompting my memory. Somebody I worked with back in a factory in like the 1995, 1996 timeframe at uh, General Motors in Michigan. We literally had answering machines on our desk. You know, I'm dating myself. Wow, yeah. They had a cassette <laughs> tape in it. Yeah. And um, then they transferred us actually over into a voicemail system. But there was uh, one engineer who was notorious for either having, uh, you know, his mailbox would be full. This was probably in 
the the voicemail era of that time. You know, um, you, you literally could not leave a message. You would have to go find him or put a note on his desk and roll the dice with with that. But I remember talking to him once and, and, and he kind of confided in me that that was absolutely an intentional strategy right. on his part to leave the voicemail full because it was something to the effect of like, yeah, well, if it's actually important, they'll come find me. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't work out so well for me. I was kind of, you know, in a way I was involuntary, like sort of unconsciously doing the same thing, right? As, as that guy was. I wasn't using it as a screening technique, but, uh, you know, I was doing it as an emotional buffer because I was just like, um, you know, I wasn't just myself at the time and it was hard talking to people. And, um, you know, um, but but I sure learned my lesson. And I as I went forward and I started a new company some uh, not that far later, um, I brought those lessons forward with me and I still follow them to this day. And yeah. uh, yeah. Well, that's good. So it, it's good yeah. that Bob gave you the feedback. I mean, it's possible nobody would have laughed or spoken up right. or, or somebody later might have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the worst jokes. The ones you never find out about here. The, you're the yeah. subject matter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Glenn, for sharing the story and yeah. the reflections and, and the learning around that. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of reflections and and like you said, things done well um, in, in your career, not, not just mistakes that, that lead to the book, Never Sit in the Lobby. And again, the subtitle is 57 Winning Sales Factors to Grow a Business and Build a Career Selling. Was, was 57 just sort of how it worked out? Like when the list was done, you're like, okay, it's 57. Yeah, I mean, I have people, friends and family that are sort of counting them and they're like, well, you don't number them and I'm counting going through them and I'm not <laughs> not sure it's exactly 57. So my second mistake might be that, but it's uh, the 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 editor helped me with that tagline. I struggled uh, for quite a while to figure out what to say next. And um, I, when it was presented to me as a suggestion, I thought, wow, that's, that's awesome. I love it. So uh, we went with it and it's basically just a collection. The, 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 it, it's, you know, the, the, another topic for it could be sort of like, you know, 57 ways not to make more mistakes because a lot of the book is about mistake avoidance, not, not a how to, it's not a recipe card, do this, do this, do that. There's a lot of like suggestions go in and say this or, or do that and what have you. But a lot of them are like, here's a mistake that I made and how I avoid it now, or, you know, a way I approach something that I learned a harsh lesson from. So I have lots of mistakes. Um, but this, this one that I shared with you today is one that I actually have to, <clears throat> the importance of for me today to retelling it is not for myself because I already answer the phone. I already know I'm going to answer the phone. It's not the, me, it's all my salespeople yeah. <laughs> or people that I'm close to that are in sales or, you know, people that I'm talking to or, maybe mentoring or someone's asking for advice or what have you. And I, I know they're sort of behaving in a similar way. And I don't say, you know, answer the damn phone. I say, let me tell you a story about what happened to me and, and the, you know, what, what, what the takeaway was for the people. Right. And then they, they tend to think about it in slightly different capacity and they can't really argue it when it's, a, when it's a something that's happened to me versus them. Right. But I can get my point across that they need to pick up the phone. That's, you know? That seems like a good leadership tactic yeah. there where you're not um, making them the bad guy. You're sharing right. a story and letting exactly. them come to a conclusion yeah. of what their behavior should be. Yeah. And honestly, the book is loaded with, with some uh, other mistakes that I've made, hiring mistakes, you know, uh, you know, strategy mistakes and what have you. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so. Well, so, you know, I, I, there's, there's benefit in learning from the mistakes of others. You know, I think there's something to be said then also for being aware of your own mistakes. That's one thing I hope the listener takes away from listening to these mistakes is like, well, you could avoid doing what Glenn did, but then maybe they're aware of their own mistakes. So, so my question back to you is, you know, as much as we might talk about learning from mistakes, some mistakes could be a deal killer, a company killer, a career killer. Like, you know, that, that, that seems there, there, there are certain settings where you can't be, I don't know the right way to say it, blase about right. like, well, I have no big deal. I lost the deal, but I'm going to learn well, from it. Like you can't live by that. Right. Yeah. There, there's another mistake. I mean, that I made that, um, that you'll probably say, Hey, why didn't you pick that as your biggest mistake? <laughs> and because it became my greatest success really is the, uh, I uh, built up my business uh, from 1991 through the mid 2000s for exactly 15 years, just like this business here that grew for 15 years. And then I sold it and sort of at the 13 and a half year mark of the first company, I, uh, I sold my shares to a public company who gave me shares back in their public in the public company. And I became a part of an operating unit of a public company. And we were very profitable threw off a lot of cash. There were sister companies that I could see you know, in broad daylight, we're very successful. And I honestly, I was too young and naive and I didn't do proper due diligence with the public company partners. And to make a long story short, they, you know, within 18 months, they had basically crippled us financially. They ran the line of credits up, they stretched the vendors. And, and 18 months later, we went into receivership and I had to start over. And that's how I created Gap Wireless. And, um, uh, was virtually doing almost the exact same thing coming out of, and, and of course I lost many, many, many millions of dollars of shares that I thought were worth something, but by then they be- had become worthless. I had gone from a multimillionaire on paper, you know, uh, to broke overnight and no company. And, um, but I started over and I got to do gap wireless and I, and there were other mistakes along the way that company had made. And I, I vowed not to make them you know, in terms of custom, a lot around customer service, pricing, margins, strategy. And, and then, I, you know, and I've always loved working here. So in a way it was a bad thing. Um, and I mean, some people question me why I, you know, why I didn't cry more about the money and what have you, but it was all on paper and I didn't have it going into the deal. I didn't have it coming out of the deal. So it was kind of like always, you know, uh, up in the ether to me. And um, yeah, so you know, so I just bounced back and, um, you know, and I was able to take those lessons and, and, uh, and do it differently within Gap Wireless, my new company. And uh, yeah, I'm so I'm sure that influenced the way you would think through uh, potential buyers then for Absolutely. Gap Wireless. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The partners that, that bought our company now are, you know, just tier one private equity company. They bought a U.S. firm that bought us and, and they are, uh, you know, at the pinnacle of, uh, of uh, you know, they're just a great company. They're called Grain Management is their name. And they're um, very proud to be a part of their company. And, you know, they've got a great um, legacy that they're building. And so I didn't think twice about that. That's not a checkbox I didn't check this time. And um, yeah, so. Well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing, you know, a bonus story there, but Right. Again, the, the, the key is the lesson, you know, reflecting on the lessons and, and you, you had an opportunity to avoid repeating the mistake. And yeah. So I applaud yeah. you for that. So back Thank back you. to the book, Glenn, um, never sit in the lobby. So I, 
I would not consider myself a sales professional. I've been involved with sales in a couple times um, in, in my career, software companies, um, consulting. And so the, so the title of your book, Never Sit in the Lobby, I have sat in the lobby. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts then. Like, this seems like an important one because it's, you know, as the title of the book, what mistake was I making? By well, that's strike, that's whether, strike one, right? Whether, <laughs> what, you know, so sometimes people aren't on time and then you feel stupid sitting there looking at the ceiling, sitting on a black couch in the lobby, maybe. That's one but, of the big, sorry, go ahead. No, go, no please go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, like that's one of the biggest, one of the many reasons why I never sit in the lobby. I literally never sit in the lobby. And I mean, I've had to stand there for an hour and my feet are burning, but I'm like, the rules are rule, don't sit down. Because the second I would sit down, they'd walk in and then I would have been sitting and they would have seen me sitting in the lobby. And it's just a rule that I made, you know, like, um, you know, other people have, uh, uh, you know, other other rules, like they always finish what's on their plate. And some people, maybe they they have a rule that they shouldn't finish everything on their plate for some reason. And it's like, why do you pick that? And you pick that. That's just the rule. But it's basically so that when the customer walks in, you're at eye level with them. And I actually, I tend to be a bit short. So, I mean, I have to, you know, I, I, I need to, I need to struggle to get to eye level sometimes <laughs> with people. So I don't want, it's, it, I don't want to further enhance it by sitting down. Right. So I don't want them coming at me from a, from an upper angle where I got to look up at them in a strange, strange way and stand up and flub to put things away. So, so I'm always standing up. I'm always, not only am I standing up, but I'm not distracted. So I'm not looking at my phone. Absolutely not. My phone is away. I'm staring pretty much, you know, plus or minus a few degrees of staring at the door, I'm pretty sure they're going to walk out of. And so when they walk out, I'm ready to grab their hand and say, how are you doing? My name's Glenn. Nice to meet you. Or if I've seen them, know them, you know, great seeing you again, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And um, the, you know, I can, I find that sometimes if you, if you're sitting down, you're going to flub through your stuff. You're going to be looking at magazines. I just don't find it as professional as the standing part. And so that's, that's what I do. And um, that's what I teach, taught my sales guys to do as well. Yeah. So right? the emphasis clearly is the, the never sit part. Like at first you might think like, don't, don't be in the lobby. And maybe there's a related rule of like, oh, don't right. show up too early. Right. Cause then yeah, maybe you right. look like you don't have anything better to do. Yeah. So, so we have a rule slightly early is on time and on time is late. <laughs> Right. So we would never want to show up more than 10 minutes before the uh, appointment because you it's, you know, you can become a a nuisance back, back in the day, not so much now, because you're probably standing alone in the lobby. You know, you called up on a phone and the guy's coming down to get you, but before there was a receptionist there and, you know, you kind of look, you know, strange, you know, pacing around, you know, and uh, not, not showing up on time. Um, A lot of guys would also use the phone in the lobby and make all their calls you know, I actually splurged the quarters back then. And then in 86, I got a cell phone. I mean, um, you, you know, I would, I didn't make my next phone calls in the other customers lobbies where a lot, a lot of guys did. It's just a, just another rule that I followed. Then the next immediate rule right after that is when you, when you show up, you never sit in the lobby and you always have something in your hand and something in your mind. And, um, people are like, what are you talking about, dude? And I'm like, and so I talk about in the book donuts, you know, maybe it's a giveaway item, maybe it's a brochure, uh, maybe it's a report, an article, it might be the quote. A lot of times my way in is the quote that they'd asked for, which I go on as using that as a really good technique to get in front of the customer when they call and ask for pricing. And you can, you know, and they say, oh, I just need a quote. And I'm like, there's, you know, 
they're just like fat back in the day it was fax it to me, email it to me, you know, now text it to me, whatever. But um, I'm like, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Why don't I just drop it off? And they're like, Oh, okay, well I'm busy. Like just drop it off. And I'm like, okay, I'll drop it off in the lobby. And then I would show up in the lobby, wouldn't stand quote in my hand, what was in my mind is was to talk to him about the quote. The receptionist says, is he expecting you? I said, well, yeah, he asked me for a quote. And then she calls up. She says, Glenn's here. He says he, he has a quote for you. He's like, oh, yeah, right. And half the time they forgot that they told me they didn't want to come down and talk to me. And they know I'm standing there. So they come down <laughs> and then I can hand them the quote. Sometimes they bring me in and sometimes they just send me on my way because they're busy. Right. But at least I say, hey, can you have a quick look? And see if we're in the ballpark or, you know, get your first glance and you can see their face either light up or, you know, look shocked. And then you can say, wow, you look shocked. I mean, you know, should we book some time to go over this in more detail? And, and, and you know, and that, those rules are the ones I follow on our own. Like, and, you know, and, um, <clears throat> you know, and if I can just continue on with one more, the, ne- the next one is never forget a face, right? So before I walked in the lobby, of course, I was a bit early, but I was in my car and I was actually going through my phone or my, you know, my note, my, my laptop, or in the old days, it was a call book. And I show a picture of an old call book. And I was actually basically associating the face with the name of every single person in that customer, because some of my customers were 12 guys, maybe even 20 people. Most of them, it was only three or four, but the way I am, it's like, I would walk by a guy. If I hadn't do this, if I didn't do this rule, I would walk by the guy and say, Hey, uh, and my 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 random access memory is not fast enough to like pull right. the name out quickly, right? Yeah, right. And and so I go through that episode in my car. And so I'd be walking through the building, you know, another rule, always ask for a mini tour. And so, you know, like, hey, you have a new lab. You know, could you give me a little mini tour of it? And they're saying, why do you ask for a mini tour? And I'm like, because if I ask for a tour, they think I need to go on a grand tour. But if I say <laughs> mini, they think, oh, he just needs a little quick look. And then I'd be walking through the building and I'd be saying, Hey, Jack, Hey, Bob, Hey, Sally, you know, Hey, John. And the guy that I'm with is like, Oh my God, this guy knows everybody. And everybody that I'm meeting is like, I can't believe that guy constantly remembers me. He only met me like two years ago, or they can't even remember who I am until three hours later. Right. They finally put it together. And, um, and I just repeat those processes over and over again. They're just simple goals of how to do it right to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Never forget their face. You know, don't get caught with that. Oh, where you're stumbling, trying to remember their name and calling them. Hey, yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like nowadays maybe you could you could use LinkedIn as those reminders if people have photos on their profile. Yeah. And if you're not connected and Absolutely, I, I, yeah. I, it, it sounds like what I hear you saying, Glenn, is that sales, it's not just about having the right technical solution to somebody's problem that 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 relationships matter greatly. Perception of you as the individual and your professionalism and your attention to yeah. them that, yeah. huh? I mean, that's, that's a big part of uh, closing the deal, right? Yeah. Beyond closing the deal. My second win for me is them saying, we love doing business with you, right? Like we love dealing with you. We like seeing you, you know, um, the back in, back in the day when I was a little bit younger, but I mean, some of my competitors invited me in to talk to their people about, about some of these strategies and um, you know, and I maintain friendships with my, both my coworkers and my competitors throughout the years for, you know, for the last 30 something years. And, uh, and so that does, that's very important to me. And I do think it makes all the difference, especially when you want to poke and, you know, at different levels in the company, like you've met the VP, you've met the CEO or somebody like that or the CFO 
and you know you didn't forget their face and you know maybe you had something in your hand in mind when you spoke to them the first time two years ago but you can always touch base with that person they're like oh yeah he's he wasn't a pain in the ass and he was nice to deal with and they're friendly and polite and you can get that you can get that important question across like this is a $250,000 sale. I know it's going to hit your desk. Is this going to be a problem for you guys? Do I need to come and schedule some time with you and the finance team to go over options? Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. is, is there a lesson around like given the choice, if you're local, what I hear you saying, let me check is if you can come deliver the quote in person, that's far better than emailing it or FedExing it. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if you're you're, you're trying to if you're you're because you're being per, you're perfectly leading me into one of the chapters, which is it, it's the first chapter, and it's called "Never Fax the Facts and Never <laughs> Ship the Shit," right? And one guy said to me recently, he says, "Oh, you got to update this because I mean, no one knows what a fax machine is," and I'm like, I made up the rule in 1980 something, right? <laughs> I mean. And it talks about LinkedIn. It talks about digital marketing later in the chapter. But the point is that, you know, we're selling, uh, and I know with COVID, it's kind of strange because especially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Canada, right? We're just coming out of our uh, restrictions more so than other places, right? And um, our guys are now all on calls um, in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, thank goodness. And, um, but so people are like, oh, no one makes calls anymore because everybody was on Zoom, right? But our stuff is all sold like at the customers. Like we're we we are selling very high technology, high ticket items, either to the wireless industry or to the we sell measuring instruments. And the the customers need to look at them, they need to use them, trial them. Um, you know, we need to show them how they work. And it's all done face to face, right? We're, we don't sell, um, you know, like some guys that might sell SaaS or something like that might might have a different model slightly, but still, I think the high ticket items, the 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 account manager goes and visits the customer uh, in most cases, and so uh, the uh, my rule is always never fax the facts or or email or text them, and and if you're delivering, if something's being delivered to the customer, always be there. Um, you know, to make sure uh, that they're, that they're using it. Right. Yeah. So a couple other questions, uh, again, our glass, our guest, there's my lot, most recent speaking mistake. My guest, uh, Glenn Poulos, he's the author of the book, never sit in the lobby. There's a, one interesting phrase in the book I was going to ask you about. Um, you use this phrase greed-based learning. What, <laughs> what does that mean when it comes to sales? Yeah. People are always like, what's this greed and whatever. Right. And um and so, uh, so greed-based learning was a, like a technique that I used to explain to my salespeople that were perplexed because we work with about 70 manufacturers from around the world. And each one of them, let's say they have 10 products, perhaps, maybe even, 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 even five products, you know, that, uh, you know, that's, that's three to 700 products that we need to sort of understand in order to properly represent them in our, in our said territory. Right. And they, they range, you know, the gamut of technology uh, in our space. And so the sales guys, are not, I can never learn this. Like I need the applications engineer with me on every call. And, and I'm like, no, that's not true. And they're like, how am I supposed to learn this? I'm like GBL. And they're like, GBL, what's that? And I'm like, greed-based <laughs> learning. And, and, I, and I'm like, so the first example I give is, and it's all about attention to detail. It's like, you know, have you ever watched a football game and, you know, you didn't have anything at stake and, you know, you got distracted and what have you. And then 
The next day you watch a different game, but you had five bucks on it with your brother, right? <laughs> Just imagine the difference between your attentiveness over, over $5, right? $5 creates an infinite change in your attention level, right? And so my point is, is that XYZ Corp or, you know, Technicore or whatever, make it, make up a name. They sell five different instruments. You, you at least know enough that, you know, ABC company might be interested in their, one of their products. So now all of a sudden, well, you know, dude, figure out what the commission is on that and go home the night before and equate learning the top five bullet points on that product to the commission that's available to you at the end of the sales cycle. And all of a sudden when they start equating, so it's like when you're buying a new car, right? You have to actually sort of like, cause you have to be able to feel what I'm trying to say. So, you know, I, I'm not a person that knows a lot about cars until the day I'm looking for a new car. And then all of a sudden, uh, like, you know, my last couple of cars have been Mercedes cars and I love them like, you know, to the ends of the earth. And I'm an expert on them. <laughs> Anything you want to know about Mercedes, I could tell you. And it's all about the sort of greedy, you know, temptation of getting the car. If I was looking at a Mazda, I'd become an expert at all the features of a Mazda. And how did I do it? Like, cause I don't know cars at all, but I'd be cocking dual overhead cams with specialized exhausts and dropped offset tires and a this and a that and specialized <laughs> carbon fiber hood. And, you know, and, and then I would just go back to my normal, uh, thing of not caring about cars. And, um, and most people can sort of relate to that. Right. And so I use that same approach to the moment I have an opportunity, you know, it sounds a little greedy, but you know, an opportunity to make money from something, my ability to learn, it goes up exponentially. And I try to inspire that sort of, uh, ideal in, in my guys, right. Think about it in that way. Don't try to learn all 700 at night because you don't have an opportunity. But the second you do, just learn that one. That, that makes a lot of sense because of all the things that you could be learning about in the world, at some point, right. you've got to focus. Exactly. And, and I could see the point. I mean, I think this applies to organizations. Don't give people blanket training and something that they might, information that they might not really need or use because it's probably going to just completely float out of the brain as quickly as right. it came across. Them. Yeah. But when there's motivation and incentive, like here's, yeah. I'm learning something that I can use right away. Yeah. Absolutely. That's powerful. That yeah. incentive, even if it's not financial. Yeah. Is there. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly GBL to a T. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you, yeah, you reminded me of a time I shopped for a car probably five or six years ago. I won't say the maker, but I had done enough research to your point, Glenn, of like, I knew, the three different engine options. Right. But at some point, like I wanted to test drive a couple of them because I didn't really know what the performance would be and if it was worth it. And I remember, you know, this, the salesperson might've been fairly new on the job, but he knew nothing about the three right. engines. He didn't know the sizes or that one was turbo powered. And I basically just walked away and I'm like, well, okay. I, you know, I was very unimpressed, but his, his greed incentive should have been to know those engines because it was very likely a customer would ask. I wouldn't expect him to know about all of the engines of all of his competitors. Right. There's a, again, I'm obviously unplugging the book, right? But there's a great story in the book called My Mentor Made Me Do It. And it's the story about a kid that worked for me that uh, went from driving the tow motor, the forklift in the warehouse with no training, didn't graduate high school, didn't graduate college, and uh, was a warehouse worker. And he went from that 
to being a very high paid salesperson selling very high technology items. And people are like, how did he do it? Right. And I'm like, his mentor made him do it. And basically it was through a couple of techniques. One of course was GBL. And, but the, 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 the thing that we added onto it was to help was to try to build the confidence that he could do it. Cause he had a natural knack you know, he was really good at gaming. He knew that no problem. There were some other sort of techie things that he would just, he would just learn out of nowhere. Right. And, um, and so, and then the other key part that, that I tell in that story is where I said, look, don't just send a resume to, and he wanted to sell cars, right. Which is why I brought it up. Um, I said, don't just like send a resume to, you know, uh, Hyundai and Mazda Toyota and whatever, all these car places. I said, listen, you're, what you're going to do is you're going to walk in, you're going to not stand in the lobby. You're going to have something in your hand and something in your mind. What's in your hand is your resume. And you're going to walk in and um, you're going to ask to talk to the sales manager, to the lady. Right. And um, you know, normally that they don't, they don't scrutinize you talking to those people. Right. And when he walks up to you say, Hey, you know, Hey Bob, I'm here. I'm here to start selling some cars for you. And um, the guy's usually like, what, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right. And I'm like, don't say anything. Like just, just wait a few seconds and then wait for the pregnant pause and then say, no, I'm just kidding. I said, I wanted to talk to you about getting a job. You know, I've got my resume here. I love your brand. You're new. And then I would GBL him and, you know, I was coaching him the days before these interviews. He had 10 interviews. He had, t- uh, yeah, 10 interviews and um, he had three offers on the spot. And there were a couple more that came in later. He took the job at his favorite car company. And he then actually leapscotched into a much, you know, more lucrative technical sales role from, from straight from the warehouse, straight. And, um, and so, you know, these techniques work actually. (laughs) They do. Yeah. 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 Well, I encourage people to uh, check out the book and if uh, there's, yeah, I, I, I should check it out because sales is not going to be, uh, just in my past. And uh, there's, right. there's a lot more to learn. Uh, the book is never sit in the lobby. And uh, Glenn, one, one other question for you. There's a section yep. in the book that set, that talks about when to stop compromising with your customer. Why, why is that important? What, what should you do instead of compromising? Can you give us an example? Yeah, usually the, uh, the compromising is um, it's a lot tied in with the, my rule of freedom begins with no. And um, people are like, what does that mean? Right. And I'm, and I'm like, if you say, when you keep saying yes and you're compromising, you know, the deal or the the situation with the customer, all the work falls upon you with a yes. You know um, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, your, your neighbor has to borrow your lawnmower or something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, sure. You can have my lawnmower. And then all of a sudden he doesn't give it back right away. And then you need it. You got to go ask for it. All the pain is on you because you said yes. And you know, if you could just say, no, it's not working right now, you know, it's not working. Or you just say, no, I'm sorry. I'm busy with it. You can't have it. Right. Freedom begins when you say, no, you don't have to do anything else. You're done. Right. And a lot of our people that I've salespeople that I've coached, you know, we would help them structure deals and there would be a built-in sort of compromise window available. For instance, we knew there was negotiations. You build that in different things. There may be an option that you had available and you would sort of allow a, whatever the customer was, maybe a one or two, maybe a three sort of cycle. But then at that point, that's it. Right. And, And you should know that in advance. And we would have some salespeople in the past that would say, 
the guy would say like, okay, fine. Like you did, you did good or whatever, but I'm going to still need to, you know, to go back and get me another few points. And, you know, I need you to improve the delivery. And I coached them in that example to say, you know, you know, thank you for your feedback. I understand, you know, your position, but, you know, uh, knowing the importance of this deal, we came in with our best price uh, today. And as a matter of fact, lead time's actually, you know, uh, deteriorating. So if we don't get an order this week, not only will I not improve the lead time, but it's going to extend and just say no. And, um, and that's the kind of, uh, you know, when you're compromising, you, you end up taking all the burden and it doesn't become a win-win deal. I talk about the, there's a, there's a spot where I talk about win, 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 where everyone wins the customer, the vendor, the salesman and the manufacturer of the product. It's a four-way win in my opinion. And, and finding, yeah, so compromise might end up being more win-lose on some level. Right. Win-lose is never good. If the, Yeah. Like what if I, you know, or the say the salesman did come back and I said, sure, let's, let's sell it at five points, like whatever. And I'm like, but there won't be any commission. So we can't afford to pay commission because all of, you know, all of our, our overheads 5% or something, right? I'm, this is an example. Uh, how's that win for the salesman? It's not, right? Or the other way around. We do pay them on that, but I don't pay my heat and light, you know, as a with the margin. And uh, it has to be win-win. And, you know, and if it warrants it, we'll go back to the manufacturer and ask them to participate. And we'll ask the customer to participate. You know, can you pay early? You know, can you pay COD? Can you pay uh, in an earlier amount of time? You know what I mean? Can you give us a deposit? Whatever. There's a million sort of flexible ways you can get the customer to participate in those compromises. Yeah. Well, a lot of great lessons here today, Glenn, and I'm, I'm, I know there are 57 or more of great lessons in the book. Our guest today has been Glenn Poulos. The book, again, is Never Sit in the Lobby, 57 Winning Sales Factors to Grow a Business and Build a Career Selling. Uh, his website is glennpoulos.com. You can find the book on Amazon, uh, amazon.ca or amazon.com and dot com, or both of them, yeah. um, other, other booksellers as well, I'm sure. So Glenn, really enjoyed it today. Thank you for sharing you. your story and your lessons. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks again to Glenn Poulos for being our guest today. To learn more about Glenn and his book, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 159. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 